Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and on the other side of the Atlantic, my brother from another mother, Jens Vogt. How's it going, Jensi? Pretty good. It's going pretty good over here. We finally get uh, spring coming. It is uh, not freezing anymore at night, and uh, weather's better, so I'm going to be out on my bike in a minute. Nice, nice. Well, I need to apologize to you, Jensi. Why? Do you want to know why? I'm not sure. I'm nervous now. So we had a great episode, a great talk with Juan Antonio Fletcher. And I don't normally go back and listen to our podcast because I don't really like my voice, how I sound. But I went back and I listened to this and I made a mistake and I have to apologize because during the pod, I said that Juan Antonio Fletcher and Fabian Conchalara was the reason why I won Perinice. And that was not true. They were the reason why I took the lead of Perinice. But... My CSE teammates, Carlos Sastra, Frank Schleck, Nikki Sorensen, Dave Zabriskie, Kurt Asle Arvison, uh, Vladimir Gusev, and you helped me win it. Because if I didn't have you there, especially on the Col de Ez, on the final stage, that wouldn't have happened. So I felt bad about that. I don't know if you picked it up. I know you're not that sort of guy, but... Um, just wanted to thank you for doing what you did for me and, and winning that race after I gave all the credit to the Fasa Bartolo boys. So there we go. Apology. Do you accept it? Thank you, Bobby. Yes. And no need to apologize because we are friends and I actually did not pick that up at all because the way you explained it was pretty obvious that, you know, they helped you, you know, on the way to get to the Jersey. So it's all good for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that just brought back some memories. And we had such a great team there with CSC, led by Bjarne Reese, Kim Anderson, who's still at it with uh, Trek Segrafredo and absolutely crushing it. Um, the, the team was amazing. Um, winning in my adopted hometown of Nice was, was quite special. And sharing the podium with Alejandro Valverde was another highlight for me. But One of the best photos that I have of my career is you winning the green jersey and me having the yellow jersey. That was That's still one of my favorite pictures. But getting off of that podium and you and I walking down the podium steps and Angela, my wife, and young Olivia, who was, what, three at that time. Now she's 18 and six foot two and taller than me. But that was, that was just a special moment, and I just wanted to take time to thank you for those memories, because memories and spending time with people that you love, that's what it's all about these days. Yes, it is, my friend. And I always pick that moment as well. That Pyrenees is my highlight in my career. I didn't win, but you won, and you helped me so many times that I had some time, you know, to win or, you know, my time in the spotlight. And um, that is always the first moment that comes to my mind when they ask me about the best moment I had in my career. Oh, man, you, I'm tearing up a little <laughs> bit here, Yenzi. Thank you, man. No, let's, let's get on to this stuff. You know, that was in the past. Listen, you know, Jens and I are a little bit older, not quite into the social media, but... Um, 
Thank you everyone for reaching out to us on Instagram, Twitter, text, WhatsApp, everything like that. So we wanted to take a little bit of time and respond to some tweets that we've had. And one of them was from Race Junkie, and he tweeted, what was your happiest day on the bike so far? Whether you were in competition or not. I think that I just pretty much described my happiest day on the bike. But other than that, Yenzi, tell us, tell us what your happiest day on the bike was. Well, um, after giving it some thought, I think it might have been my very last day as the active pro bike racer when I did the hour record. Like within, let's say, the last minute, the last two minutes, I knew that if there isn't an earthquake coming, I, I got it, right? And I had these, the whole entire range of emotions um, going through my mind, like absolute happiness that I will never, ever have to suffer like that again. Amazing amount of sadness. I will never, ever perform on center stage. I will never, ever have thousands of people yelling my name or giving me standing ovations like that night on the velodrome. I was immensely proud that I finished my career on a good note with the hour record. I was terrified about the future because, hey, new job. My contract runs out. What am I going to do next year? Flipping burgers at McDonald's? Open that bookshop I always wanted to do? Or whatever, changing tires on a car? I mean, hey, I'm just a cyclist, you know? What do I know about the real life outside of the cycling bubble? So, yeah, I was nervous. I was afraid. I was proud. I was happy. I was anxious. And, yeah, relieved that I would never, ever have to train. And that uh, when the kids uh, would ask me, hey, daddy, you want to go for ice cream? I could say, yes, of course, instead of, nah, maybe dad just drinks the water, right? Because you always have to watch your diet and ice cream is not exactly healthy race food. So it was a wild mix of emotions going uh, through uh, my mind. Um, and also bittersweet was... Um, that I have to realize, that's it. I did reach the absolute highest point in my fitness in my entire life. And from that day on, I only have gotten slower, fatter, and older. And it's terrible. It is so painful <laughs> to accept that you are basically shizai compared to what you have done before. It's, it's hard to accept. So that was probably the most interesting uh, day or the most fascinating day because it all came together in this one minute. That was one hour. That was one hour. I was there. I really, I wouldn't have missed that for the world. That was, that was quite an experience. And um, I remember once you were done, you know, I was trying to get out of there and I figured you'd just be in a box in a heap, you know, taking a nap, but you went around the room and you thanked everybody that was there and, Gave me a hug. That was that was a good day. That was a, definitely a good day. But you know, that's the real Yenzi that that I remember is that guy that was never on time, but never late. And somebody sent us this clip on on Twitter when we were talking about in, during one of our first episodes about your timing, and it was a clip from the 2014 tour of Utah, I believe. And you're in the VIP booth, the VIP tent, having a coffee, 
chatting up whoever, journalists, friends. And in the background, the race starts. And somebody turns to you and goes, um, are you going to race today? And you just very calmly started getting your helmet on, putting on your glasses, finishing your coffee. I mean, that, that just encapsulated you to me was that, okay, the race is taken off. I could totally freak out right now, but you know what? I'm Jens Volt. I'll catch up. I'll deal with it. Do you remember that? Yes, actually, now I do. Yes, of course I do. Because I figured, look, I mean, you look at the race book. So, you know, you got like, whatever, two miles, five miles neutral. So easy. They're going to be like cruising along at like 10 miles an hour. I'm going to catch him easy. No problem. And hey, I would almost do anything for free coffee, my friend. I'm cheap. <laughs> anything for free coffee. <laughs> they do have coffee in those VIP, uh, good coffee in those VIP places for sure. But hey. Let's talk about the bike racing just a little bit. You know, we're, we're not going to dive deep into it, but there's some things that we need to mention. Uh, we talked a little bit about Perry Nice. That was an unfortunate event there with Primoz Rolich. And we talked about Torreno with that great win by Pogachar. Let's talk a little bit about the race that came after that, that those guys were suffering for through, that they were preparing the, with those stage races, Milan San Remo. Tell us a little bit about your take on Milan San Remo. I mean, Jesper Stoyven pulled it off. He beat the unbeatable guys. Tell us, what was your opinion on that race? Give us the rundown. Give us your, your opinion. It was actually pretty cool to see because Jasper is, I believe, since five years or even longer ago, he is the next Tom Bonin. He is the next Cancellara. And he was always just there, but never made that one step from being the, the candidate, being the future talent to actually, now he is the star. And he just crossed that fine line of, yes, I have the potential on paper and I showed it, but now I also delivered. So it was absolutely great to see. By the way, funny fact about Jasper Stirvin, he has a little own little private business producing fine Belgium chocolate. Check that for a cyclist. Pretty interesting, eh? Um, so I guess he must have watched Cancelara's win because Jasper realized, look, I cannot beat them in a sprint. I might finish third, fourth, fifth in a sprint, but I cannot beat them. So his only chance was to go. And well, with all the respect to Jasper, you know, he's a friend and I he was my former teammate. Probably his lucky chance was that he was the so-called smallest name in that group. I mean, it was just a who was who of cycling there, and you all watched each other, and that was the chance of uh, Jasper to slip away and just stay away, basically un until the line. It was pretty good to see. But, um, yeah, Milan-San Remo, it's San Remo. It's 250 kilometers transport for 45k of intense bike racing. Yeah, not quite um, in my wheelhouse, that's for sure. That was that was a tough one, for sure. We also, on the women's side, had an amazing couple races, but the one that I really want to mention was also won by a Trek um, rider. They're, they're on fire this year. I mean, I don't know what they did right, what changes they made, but men and women, they are just crushing it, was the Trofeo uh, Binda. Alfredo Binda, 
And that was one in such impressive style. I don't know if you went back and watched the clips. It was all over social media. The attack by Elisa Longo-Borghini. It was lights out attack. And she wound up winning by almost two minutes. What, What do you think? I mean, you may have a little inside scoop, but what did the Trek team do right in this offseason coming off such a hard end of the season last year? Well, I believe the um, last year's season did throw off a few teams, did throw them off balance. Like, for example, um, the team um, Ineos, they didn't get the preparation wrong because the tour is not in July, but it was a lot like one or two months later. So normally they know, okay, I got to do this in May, I got to do this in June to be ready for July. And they somehow messed it up. Other teams dealt with that a little better. And probably for Trek, it was better that they had like such an intense and long end of the season. So that uh, they, for some reason, got quicker or better ready. I think they just changed their preparation. They probably put in a few more hard miles earlier to hit the ground running. And it's always easier to be ahead of your shape than always have to chase and to work behind your shape, right? Because uh, a few early season wins, they uh, raise the uh, motivation and confidence of the entire team. So it helps everybody if you get an early win and in a moment they're on a good track. So yeah, I think they trained a little earlier, a little harder, a little more intense than other teams or than they did compared to other years. They just try to be ready a little earlier. We have a great guest today, so enough about talking about bike races. Let's talk about race promotion and events. We have the co-founder and director of event operations to Roll Massif, Mr. Scotty Olmsted. Welcome, Scotty Olmsted from Roll Massif. I understand that you're the co-founder and director of events operations for them, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I listen to you both, and it's an honor to be on your show. Yeah. You know, you deal with another side of the sport, which is um, putting on events. And, you know, you have a lot of experience in mm-hmm. running these events. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and the whole Roll Massif operation. Sure. I have a swimming background, so I kind of, I swam in college, so I kind of know the, how to suffer, I guess, if you would say. I kind of got into event production, uh, just right out of college. And I worked for a gentleman on, on all of our events for 15 years. And so I kind of, kind of gradually got familiar with just event production, um, over the last 15 some odd years. And then, uh, I got teamed up with a longtime friend, um, other co-founder Chandler Smith, um, who also put on some other events in the state, Ride the Rockies and some other well-known rides. And we got connected with Robin Thurston uh, a few years back, uh, back in 2017. And um, we had the opportunity to take over the events. And we, at the time, wanted to rebrand. And that's what we came up with, uh, with Roll Massif. Roll Massif is... Uh, a lot of meetings, but um, we wanted to make sure it was actionable. And, you know, with Massif being in the heart of Colorado, we felt like that was a pretty good name. Yeah, I mean, you have quite a few events on the calendar. 
And the things that really stick out to me now that I think I've upgraded from a Cat 5 gravel rider to a Cat 4 gravel rider is the amount of gravel that you have going on. Tell us a little bit about how you got into promoting gravel. Yeah, gravel in Colorado, I mean, it's a perfect place. Um, there's so many open roads. It's certainly ideal. And, you know, for us at Roll Massif, just adding gravel with the popularity was kind of a natural fit. You know, I could kind of go into some details about uh, just there's a lot of, I mean, if you haven't been to Colorado, it's a, it's a great place. You know, Colorado has many dirt and gravel roads, basically free from cars and distractions. And so, you know, for me as a, as a, Grab a new gravel rider. You don't have to worry about traffic, amazing scenery, um, and you're off the off beaten path. And just the accessibility here in Colorado, it's it's um, it's certainly ideal. Spring is finally here. If you're just getting back on the bike and worried you're not in race form, don't worry. Active Pass from outside has you covered. Jens and I are both members and get to enjoy training plans exclusive gear discounts, entry to cycling events, and more, including access to premium content from other outside publications like Velo News, Trail Runner, Yoga Journal, and Backpacker. And there's more coming soon, including Peloton Magazine. All in all, it's a $350 value for just $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, Bobby Yens 25, that's B O B B Y J E N S 25 at checkout, you'll get another 25% off. Go to velonews.com forward slash active pass and enter Bobby Yens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. Now back to our chat with Scott. One thing that I'm learning about gravel with my limited experience is that there's different flavors of gravel. Like George Hincapie and Christian Vanneveld and myself started doing, I'll put it in air quotes, gravel. But when we rode with Yolanda Neff, ex-world mountain bike champion, she shows up on a cyclocross bike and just crushes us. But at the end, she looks at George and I and says, guys, this is not gravel. So... We, my interpretation of gravel from the beginning was a little bit basically riding mountain bike courses on a gravel bike. But then recently I did an event which was tarmac, gravel section, tarmac, gravel section, tarmac, gravel section. And it was great. It was over 73 miles, a lot of fun, kind of started to feel like wow, this is what the guys feel like doing Paris-Roubaix. You know, this is, you know, we're flying through there. So when you're picking out a course, like what goes through your mind? Are you just, you know, how do you determine an interesting gravel route? How do you map it out? What are the parameters that you have to think about with gravel? Because yeah, it's not a criterium. It's not a circuit race. These people are out in the wild a little bit. Um, how do you ensure the rider safety, the rider enjoyment, and just basically the overall pleasure of the event for the participants. 
with towns growing and, and different things of that nature, um, with population increasing here in Colorado, I mean, yes, a lot of our routes do start out on paved roads and we'll have some, some of that sections throughout the, throughout the route. But I mean, for us, you know, for our two gravel events, wild horse gravel and crooked gravel, you know, they take place in, in, in pretty, scenic areas and, and are pretty remote. So we, we try to make sure that that the, the courses are uh, number one safe. People can feel comfortable out there. Uh, Wild Horse is a little bit more technical uh, just because of the roads are not driven as much. So you will run into some ruts and, and, you know, and that sort of thing. But in terms of just county roads, they pretty much maintain them all year round. And so they make it easy to ride on and more enjoyable that way. So, you know, it, it, there's probably some categories of, of scenic, making sure that it's close to town, um, accessible if you needed to, to, for injuries or anything like that. So it's not super remote. Hey, and um, now when you organize uh, a new route, are you prefer to go from A to B Or one big lap, so start and finish would be the same, which is, of course, easier for the logistics. Or you rather go, nah, we just want to go from A to B and see a different scenery. Well, what do you prefer there? I prefer the route, uh, the loop. Uh, it's a little bit easier from a from an organizing standpoint where you don't have to trans, uh, transport people and that sort of thing. So we, we definitely favor the route and, and try to find a, a place that's, that you can start and finish from. And to the people listening on our podcast that are obviously getting interested in gravel, but maybe a little intimidated because, you know, can I use a, a mountain bike during a gravel race? Um, do I have to have all the equipment or can I just show up with a cyclocross bike? Um, do you think, can, can people new to the sport that maybe don't want to invest right away in a gravel bike, can they ride a cyclocross bike or a mountain bike during these gravel events that you promote? Yes. Uh, yes, to answer your question, Bobby. I mean, for our gravel events are a little bit different. We have time segments out on the route, so it's not fully timed from start to finish. So, you know, we believe in making sure people have fun and, and enjoy it and, and hang out with their friends and, 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 uh, make it sure that it's comfortable for them, but also have a challenge in, in the aspect of, of, uh, gravel racing. So our events are a little bit unique in that way that we just have time segments and it allows for that, uh, camaraderie and, and community, um, aspect. But yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, we do allow mountain bikes. We do allow cross. Um, you know, I personally think you'll, you'll enjoy the, the rides better on a gravel bike um, just because they're more comfortable. Um, I got a technical question here to follow up. Um, one of the events I did, there was a huge discussion about aero handlebars or not. Because as I said before, you pretty quickly you alone because the, the field splits apart and you do go faster if you have uh, aero handlebars attached to your normal uh, gravel bike and it's more comfortable for your shoulders if you like for example do a 100 or 200 mile event um your events do you have any rules or any advice on this yeah i mean i 
I see your point, Jans. I mean, like I said, like our events are just not a high caliber type of race, you know, so although we sometimes discourage it based on a specific event because of the number of people, but you know, it's just not that type of an event. It's we're we're here to have fun and have a good time, have people enjoy the experience. You know, for us at Roll, like we we want, you know, we want people to have a good time and and you know, enjoy the sport. And so it's just not all also about you know, that sort of thing and racing and, and, um, so we want to make it welcoming for everybody. So, you know, it, if someone does have a narrow bar and they want to push themselves like for our, one of our road events and get out there, like for an early season ride at our, at the elephant rock, you know, to train for some Ironmans, you know, that's, that's fine. But you know, if it's, if it's, it's just a different vibe than, than an Ironman. Alrighty. So if the, let's say your event is on Sunday, the Friday or the Saturday before, are uh, you actually go on the bike and ride your own course the day before to make sure all the bridges <laughs> are still there and the rivers are not like uh, containing too much water and all that? Or who checks the course like last minute checks? Or, or you don't do that at all? How 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 does that function? Sure, we we go out uh, at least thirty days um, before the event and whether we ride it or drive it, um, just to see where where there's things at um, and can adjust um, within those that time frame. But we do set up the course at least two days before. We put out signs, make sure, you know, like you said, if we have cattle guards, you know, we, we have cattle guard covers for some people that don't, don't know how to cross a cattle guard. So we go out prior to the event, make sure that the course is safe and set everything up. And then the day of the event, we go back out early in the morning. To, um, sometimes a lot of people like to take our signs. And so we've got to sometimes redo our work that, to make sure that people don't get lost. That's uh, I always have this dream every year before the event that we've got to make sure that people don't get lost. <laughs> But you also have some road events and you have some spectacular road events. Tell us a little bit about those, and um, hopefully you'll set me up because I have a really good story about one of your road events that you promote. Yep, we put on four road events. Um, they're very iconic to Colorado. Kind of run down the list here, but um, Elephant Rock. Elephant Rock is our, our kind of largest event. It's um, It's been around for 30 years. It's kind of your early season ride, kickoff to the summer cycling season, as you would say, and... Um, You know, it's a, it's a good training ride. It's just south of Denver and Castle Rock. Um, we have five different courses ranging from 100 miles to eight miles so that you can do it with your family. And it's an all around just fun atmosphere. Our other kind of classic road event is the Copper Triangle. Copper Triangle, I think Jans has, has raced kind of on those roads, um, up near Leadville and Mintern, uh, with the Pro Challenge back in the day, but it takes place at Copper Mountain in the heart of the Rockies and just, it's a, it's a classic. We go over three mountain passes, gorgeous roads, um, starting at, you know, we climb over 10,000 feet. So it, it's a, it's a good all around, um, course, just if, if you want to take in the scenery in Colorado. Um, our other two road events happen on the Western slope and, and Bobby, you've been out to one of them, uh, in the last few years, tour of the moon. 
And you guys know a lot about Tour of the Moon. Um, that was made famous in the 1980s course classic days and in the cycling movie American Flyers. But it's it's by far one of my favorite events um, with the scenery and, you know, just people getting off their bikes and taking pictures. I've never seen so many people get off their bikes and take pictures on a, on a cycling event. But the views are just endless and it's a it's a it's a pretty epic, epic event. And then we also put on a just a leisurely classic tour um, through the vineyards and Palisade. So tour to vineyards um, is also a, just another fun uh, way to get out on the bike. OK, two things. When I was growing up in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, I had very little options, especially during the winter of the roads that I could ride on. So I would ride on Interstate 70 going towards Rifle, <laughs> Newcastle, that area. And luckily there was a big shoulder there and there's probably still a little rut from the number of times that I did that, that route. And the other option was going up Highway 82 towards Aspen, towards Carbondale. And that also had a nice shoulder. But when it got too cold, uh, my father would take myself and at the beginning, my sister as well, down to Grand Junction, Colorado. So yes, you set me up pretty good there. I didn't, back then, there weren't vineyards in Palisade, let me tell you. They had, I think, peaches and stuff like that. And then when I started to hear that they were making wine, I was like blown away. And now it's like legit kind of Napa-esque setup out there. We went to a, one of the wineries out there and it was like, are we in... Grand Junction, Colorado, or Palisade, or Napa Valley. It was pretty amazing. But I want to talk about Tour of the Moon. Tour of the Moon was, which is around Colorado National Monument, was iconic for the reasons that you just mentioned. It was a stage of the Coors Classic. It was in the movie American Flyers. But for me, it's really where, where my passion for cycling started. And funny. So my dad drives himself, my sister and I, down to Grand Junction. We park at the bottom um, first gate of Colorado National Monument. And that's a good climb. It's a really good climb. And my sister, you know, not, neither of us were bike racers at the time. And we take off and my dad and I are climbing and I start to see all this paint on the ground. And it was basically riders' names, teams' names, go, 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 Ale, Forza. And I'm riding through all this graffiti paint thinking, wow, you know, the best riders in the world have come through here. And you're climbing up, you're going through some tunnels, you kind of get to the top of the first um, summit. And my dad and I are pretty close to each other. And we're like, we have to wait for Robin, my sister. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we are going to be here for an hour because she doesn't ride a bike. She probably hates this. So we turn around and honestly, I don't know, maybe two minutes behind us, we see her coming up the road. I was blown away that my sister actually climbed Colorado National Monument that fast. I wish she never really got into cycling like I did, but that event, that Colorado National Monument, the Tour of the Moon, people, if you've never ridden that event 
or that course, you have to do it. Even having ridden my bike my whole life, done that course many times, I was stopping during that event and taking those photos because if you haven't been to Colorado National Monument, you have to go. But one of the other cool things is when you get down and you have to get back to the car, there is a, a, a little little climb. And again, I saw the paint on the road. And I'm like, what's this? And we figured out later that that was the feed zone for the Coors Classic. And it had just passed through. So I was like looking in the weeds for like water bottles and musette bags. And um, <laughs> it was just a perfect storm. I got introduced to riding that event. And then I got into racing in the Red Zinger Mini Classic over in Boulder, Denver, Fort Collins area. And then right as in the middle of that event, when I was 13 years old, we go to a movie basically just to kind of get out of the heat, get off our legs. And it was American Flyers. And it was around Colorado National Monument. I mean, the stars were aligned for me because all those things lined up and I was instantly hooked. So... Wow. That, that's where it all began. I'd love to go back again next year. So uh, if you have a open spot for the Yenzi and myself, we will, uh, yeah. we would be, we would love to come. Yenzi, what do you say? Absolutely. I do like gravel uh, riding <clears throat> also because I do not get a lot of it here in Europe and Germany. This isn't gravel though. This is, this ah, is road. road event. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can hang because you were talking about getting dropped and always being alone in gravel yep i don't think that's true but maybe if we put some arrow bars on there for you like you want you'll you'll be able to stay with the front group but no this is a this is a road event and it's awesome so i think i think you could hang i'm not sure you're are you f as fit as you were back in the day well um <coughs> engine e-bike <coughs> e-bike <coughs> um i'm far far away from my old fitness i would say I'm probably down to 33% of my former 100%. So I lost about two-thirds of my power, I believe. i got to be honest with myself. But, but yeah, uh, when we're stopping great. and taking photos, when we're stopping and taking photos, it doesn't matter. It's all about the participation, not the pace. But if there's a time section, I'm going for it, buddy. You better be ready. All righty. I give you a quick uh, clap on the shoulder. I go, go, Tiger, go and get him. And then I see you at the finish line again. <laughs> Can't wait to go back. Can't wait to participate in some of these events and meet some new people, drink some wine from Colorado and ride a mountain bike in Fruta. I mean, let's do it. Yep. Yep. And, you know, if, uh, if people are listening, um, they can go to our website at rollmassif.com and uh, all of our events are are open and and uh, we're just navigating COVID right now, but we're pretty optimistic what the summer looks like. Great news, great news. Yeah, things are starting to look up. We need these events. Um, people want to get out. People want to be around each other again. You know, competition is part of it, but participation is the most important. So, Scotty, thank you very much for sharing your time with us today. We wish you all the best with all these Roll Massive events and look forward to checking with you in the future. Yeah, thank you guys. Here we are, folks, with our weekly hashtag Shut Up Legs Award. Yenzi, who do you got this week? I got the unluckiest rider on earth in Perinese, Primoz Roglic. Crashing once, 
crashing twice, dislocated shoulder, back on the bike, having a mechanical problem on top of it. Then left all alone by his team, chasing the first group by himself. Seeing the inevitable end in front of him, that he's not only gonna lose the yellow jersey, but he's gonna fall out of the top 10. So from hero to zero, all in front of his eyes. And he still refused to give up and step off the bike. He went to the bitter end and said, no, I'm not gonna give in. I'm gonna ride to the finish line because that's what I'm here for. I'm a professional athlete and I'm gonna go all the way to the end. That will make him a lot stronger and he will come back and just kill people in the next races. Great pick, great pick, no doubt, no doubt. He showed a lot of class and a lot of character. And then the way that he went up and congratulated Emmanuel Bokman for the win, um, that's going to come back because um, he could have thrown the, the toys out of the pram, as they say in the UK, and, and just pouted. But he really represented himself and his team and his family quite well there. So for me, man, it was a hard one. I kind of went through quite a few and then another one would pop up and then I'd go back. I was going to go with Elisa Longo Borghini because that attack that she made was massive and holding off Marianne Vos there by almost two minutes. But yeah, then Sagan, I was thinking about Sagan, you know, what he came back from, but it's Peter Sagan. Like it was just a matter of time. So for me, it's going to be Mark Cavendish. What he's had to have gone through these last couple years towards the twilight of his career. And then, you know, he finished second in a race a couple weeks ago. In Copa Bartoli, he finishes second in the first stage. And his team, I believe, finished third in the team time trial, enough to give him the overall lead going into stage three. I think that was great. I saw the, the photo of him up on the podium. And I know it's not him winning the race, but I thought it was super important for him, for his confidence, for his team, and you know, just a little bit of a compensation for the sacrifices that he's made. I hope we see him back in the Grand Tour winning spot. And this was a, an important step. So for me, hashtag Shut Up Legs of the Week award goes to Mark Cavendish. We love you, Cav. Well. That's all the time we have for this week. And thanks to Scott for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. Also, thank you to JD Jarrett and Race Junkie on Twitter for your questions. This show was a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>